0: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? I have a contest for you. I know, kind of exciting, right? First time I've ever done it. I'm sure I'm gonna mess something up. Here's the deal. I ordered just too many fossils, I guess. I ordered this bag of, like, dirt and shark's teeth and bone shards and fossilized shells and that kind of stuff. And the way it works is you kind of, like, dump the bag out and dig through the dirt and find the fossils. Solid summertime plan for the kids to keep them occupied and doing something. Uh, They sent me two bags, and there's no scenario where we're going to go through all of this stuff at my house. So, I decided that a good way to get rid of the extra bag would be to offer it up to you guys. So, here's the deal. If you would like one of those bags, all you have to do is drop a five-star rating and review on iTunes of this podcast, screen cap that bad boy, take a picture of the image, and then email it to me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. On Friday of next week, I will go through all of those emails. I'll write them all down. I'll put them on pieces of paper, mix them up, and have my kids pull one out, and that person wins the bag of fossils, I will then email that person, get their address, and mail them a big bag of fossils and dirt and stuff for them to use with their kids. So again, if you're interested, go into iTunes or your podcast player of choice, drop a five-star rating and review of this podcast, screen cap it, send me the picture. That will also give me your email address. I will use that to get back to you should you win on Friday. That said, another thing that's fun to do is listening to Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb and ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. They're part of this ADHD Rewired podcast network that I mentioned at the start of the show. So Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb is ADHD tips, strategies, and ideas to help you better manage the disorder. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers is more like this show. It came before this show. And he interviews ADHD adults and ADHD experts and that kind of stuff. Both of those shows are phenomenal. I listen to them regularly. I learn a lot from them. And so will you. So please go give a listen to our partner podcasts. And finally, if you're not a member of the ADHD Essentials Facebook community, I highly recommend you join. I put as many useful resources in there as I can. Oftentimes our members are typing questions and sharing ideas as well. Go to facebookcom groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking to my friend Denise Rodman. Denise is a middle school wellness teacher who helps her students better manage their stress and cut out their perfectionism. In today's episode, Denise and I discuss the causes and detrimental effects of perfectionism, as well as ways to reduce it. We discuss stress management techniques. Why you should train your mind like a horse, and the effects of social media on both our kids and ourselves as it relates to perfectionism. All right, let's get rolling.
1: I am Denise Roadman. I have been teaching middle school for 19 years, going into my 20th year now. 12 of those years, I taught stress management. The last couple of years, I changed the stress management class to what I entitled Cut Out Perfect meaning cut out perfection, because I thought that in at least our school system was more of the actual culprit of every kid's stress rather than just stress. So I wanted to get to the root of what I think they needed to focus on and where they needed to learn the management skills for perfection.
0: Perfectionism is a huge challenge for folks with ADHD. Let's talk about what it is first, I guess, and then we'll, we'll play with how to get rid of it
1: perfectionism shows up in so many ways one day you'll think you've beaten it but then it comes up as another angle like it's something that you didn't expect and it's got you again so i'm going to name some of the ways that it does show up especially for middle school kids and it it leads all the way into adulthood mentally beating yourself up just being hard on yourself not giving yourself grace putting lots of pressure on yourself Harshly comparing yourself to others. Very little that you do seems good enough. Getting anxious when you don't meet your own expectations or others' expectations, or even what you perceive as others' expectations. Um, The fear of making mistakes, the fear of criticism, the strong need to be right, and overthinking into a kind of downward spiral rabbit hole that you can't seem to get out of. And it's all showing up with how you're not doing enough or being enough.
0: Yeah. And I want to I wanna play with something for a second, if I may. Okay. One of the things that potentially comes from listening to this episode as we talk about perfectionism is people feeling like they're not perfect enough because they're not able to get past their perfectionism enough, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not perfectly getting over my perfectionism.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. That's adding the layer on top.
0: Yeah, and I want to point that out in case anyone tries to bring any guilt from this episode as we sort of rip perfectionism to shreds because I'm talking to a woman who is an expert on navigating perfectionism right now And uh, coming into this episode, she was a little nervous because she's never been in a podcast before. And I'm willing to bet that some of that nervousness is coming from feeling like she's not going to be perfect as a guest on a podcast.
1: Absolutely. I know it well. Yeah. (laughs) For sure.
0: And you do this like for a living, like you teach kids about getting past their perfectionism, but that doesn't mean you're not still affected by it. For sure. And it's okay to have that affect us but it's also okay and helpful to recognize it so we can move beyond it. Because if y'all didn't notice, Denise started laughing pretty heartily when I pointed that out, and she has visibly relaxed on my end.
1: Well, it's exactly what I said earlier, too. I, I labeled all these things, and they're not showing up in my day regularly anymore right now. And then all of a sudden, oh, I have to do a podcast. And here it is. It showed up. It's yeah. kind of a performance anxiety piece in a way that I, Wasn't going to expect my day to go, (laughs) but there it is again. It's fine. It'll work out.
0: How do you find perfectionism affecting your students?
1: For most in my school, it ends up being grades. It can also end up showing up in athletics, but it really has to do with grades being on top. You can say that there's the pressure of fitting in, you know, in seventh, eighth grade, that middle school piece. But that fitting in is even stronger as it shows up in getting good grades. That's really where their perfectionism shows up the most, I would say.
0: And is that because the judgment is more concrete, like there's an actual grade or a comment or something on a report card that indicates this is how well you did, as opposed to, say, social interactions where you don't get, there's no tests that you get graded on?
1: I would say it's just showing up as grades because your person next to you wants to know what you got so they can compare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it's also coming from parents too. We have parents in our community that really stress upon how an A is really not as good enough as an A+. Plus. And God forbid you get a B or a B+. Plus. Wow. (laughs) anything under an a for a lot of kids the belief is failing it's embarrassing
0: which is ridiculous
1: it's absolutely ridiculous
0: when you've got that much pressure in a school district how is that playing out in the mental health of your student body
1: the anxiety piece is so high in the last few years it's higher than i've ever seen it before Kids have panic attacks when they get grades back. Kids don't want to come to school. They don't want to be that kid who hasn't done their work. They don't want to be known as that kid, and they don't want to be known as the kid who doesn't get the A's. I'm not saying all kids are like that. It's not every single kid, but that's the majority.
0: That's incredible to me because that's not a healthy academic environment you've got a batch of students that are not giving themselves permission to make mistakes. And that's how you learn is by screwing up.
1: That's what my dad always says. You have to make mistakes. How else will you learn? I do preach that in my class as well. Now, every once in a while you do have a kid who is just very confident in himself. He'll probably be in any kind of learning center, trying to get improvement, English, math, whatever. And he'll just come out and boldly say, I don't care. I'm a standard math student. I need help. Mm-hmm. And it's actually refreshing because they don't care. And it's like, I love when the kids around see a kid like that because that I feel like that helps relax them. But then, then there's the other kids who interpret it like, oh, I don't want to be like that.
0: And there's always those kids, and I was one of them. And even as an adult, I've been bit by this where you get that perfectionism of that perfectionism that undermines your ability to perform. I I like to think of it as like front end and back end perfectionism front end being, I'm just not going to do this because I can't do it perfectly. So I'm not going to do this assignment, this task, this, I don't know, play in football, whatever it is. I'm just not going to do it because I can't do it perfectly.
1: Yeah. So that's where procrastination shows up.
0: Yeah. Or just out and out refusal that too. And that's that's school refusal, which you've already described, kids who won't even go because they can't hang as far as they're concerned, which may or may not be true, but they've decided that they can't be perfect enough, so they're not going to go to school. And then the other side of that is the back-end perfectionism, where you never really commit to being done. You write the essay, and you're going, should that be a semicolon or a comma? Maybe it's a hyphen. I can't turn this in because I don't know what that should be.
1: And so that fear leads you to unfinish and or not turn in the assignment. You're exactly right, which is so silly when you think about it, but it's not to them. It means everything, and that's their world in seventh and eighth grade.
0: Yeah, and, and that's where we have to tell them things like done is better than perfect, right, which my listeners have heard from me on several occasions. And I've had students when I taught where I had to be like, listen, you're probably going to get a 65 on this essay. Like this essay is not great and it's just time to turn it in. But a 65 is better than a zero.
1: I have used that time and time again. In fact, I've done a, a time management project this whole 19 years of my career. And a lot of kids, I will say that, okay, for each day that you turn it in late, a time management project, think about it. It's going to be minus five points because why would you turn in a time management project late? Because of that, I've had kids in the past who just refuse to turn it in because it's not done perfectly. And then I will repeat the same thing you said, a 50. Even if you turned in and got half credit, that's better than zero. They'll be unwilling to turn it in. Now, some will here and there, but again, majority, they won't.
0: And that's just math. That's just like, it just is what it is. It's 50 points you wouldn't otherwise have.
1: Yeah, that'll that'll add into your average.
0: So what are some of the strategies that you're sharing with your kids to help them get past this perfectionism?
1: One of the things I do start out with is, um, have you ever heard of the tapping method?
0: Nope.
1: I am not the expert on it, but I do use it with my classes. And Nick Ortner, if anyone were to look him up, Nick Ortner and the tapping method, um, they have begun using it in schools as a form of meditation. And there's all kinds of videos on YouTube that anyone could look this up. And when you're tapping on these spots, that is going to calm down the amygdala. And the amygdala is where that sends the stress response out to the body, causing the panic attack, causing the anxious belly, causing the sweaty palms, you know, all the stress manifesting physically. When you do about three rounds of the tapping method in all the right places, you immediately start to calm down.
0: So it's kind of like a grounding technique, it sounds like. It gets you into your body and a little more secure in where you are.
1: Yeah. And here's how I know when kids, it's working. They start to yawn. They're not anxious. Mm -hmm. My question always at the end of it, is your mind quieter? Is it not as busy? Do you feel tired? have mm-hmm. you yawned, feel like you could go to sleep, all of that, then, it's, then they've done it correctly.
0: So it's like a mindfulness technique, it sounds like.
1: It's so wonderful. Some schools across the United States, they start out their morning like that. So all the kids that come in in the morning, I wish we did that, but all the co- kids that come in the morning, especially elementary schools, they start off ready to put all the stuff aside that they came into school with and really focus on their day
0: prior to MCAS, prior to standardized testing stuff, I would teach my kids how to control their heartbeat. 50% of them roughly would actually be able to pull it off. And most of them were just getting some breathing exercises and some calming techniques. But it calmed everybody down, right? Because I'm having them pay attention to their breath. I'm having them Mm. find their pulse without even touching themselves. Just like feel the pulse in your head was usually where people would find it. Um, Every now and then it would be the bottom of someone's foot. And then I would have them breathe slower and that would cause a reaction in the body to slow the heartbeat down. And then about 50% of the kids would be like, wow, it worked. But they'd all be calmer afterwards. So It sounds like a similar kind of idea. Yes. What are some other approaches that you're taking with your students?
1: We also meditate in class. We use the Calm app, lying down on the floor. I know some of the dirty floors in school. <laughs> but we will lie down and we'll do a 10-minute meditation or a 15-minute meditation. and. The kids love that too, because I'll say to them, Hey, if you quieted the mind enough to fall asleep for a few minutes, golden, you get to do that. So they get all psyched about that (laughs) and they always have to wake up, but it's fine. But then they get mad sometimes too, because there's, I have to go to math class now. I'm so tired. I wish I wouldn't have slept. And of course the real route that you have to get to, like, those are some of the helping pieces, but the real Issue is training the mind because the mind is where it all begins. It's what you're saying to yourself when you talk to yourself. So I tell my kids that they'll have wild thoughts. They just, if they watched a scary movie, you know, that goes into your mind like a computer, it's going to spit back out at you. Sometimes you come home and the house is quiet and there's nobody there, and then your mind starts racing, because you've seen a scary movie, or you woke up from a nightmare. Even just as simple as those things that happen, besides the fact that, you know, you can create your own anxiety simply from getting stressed out and overwhelmed of all the things that you have to get done. You know, those kids who late at night worry that they haven't studied enough, or they haven't prepared enough, or they hadn't didn't do all their homework. Did I say the wrong thing to the wrong person? And and their mind just starts to ramble on, race right before bed. This is where the training of your mind comes into play. Although the earlier we do it, (laughs) the easier it is to do. Because when we're much older like us, it takes a lot more to um, train.
0: And you're not just talking about the mindfulness aspect of it. You're also talking about sort of the changing your thoughts and changing what you're saying to yourself. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yes. Well, first you do have to be mindful of what's going on. Right. And then you have to be able to change it too. I say it in a way that it's like a wild stallion. Like sometimes your thoughts can just get the best of you and you're following along them and you're just, the horse is leading you. And your goal is to turn that around. You are taming the horse and you are leading that horse. Because if you think of it like a horse trainer, that horse is so much bigger than you. Your thoughts can be so much bigger than you if you let them. But if you show the horse who's in charge, if you show the mind that you're in charge, you do not have to go down that path. A horse trainer shows the horse who's boss by getting the horse to do something he doesn't want to do. Even though that horse is bigger, it's learning. And so for the brain, with your thoughts, you show them that you're the boss. You are the boss. And sometimes I use, like I put a dot on a page, like a little page, and I'll say, okay, here's your thought. This is a little dot. It's just a thought. Okay, I failed the test. Or I got a C on the test. And then it starts to go, oh, my gosh, I got a C on the test oh my gosh, my parents are going to be so upset with me. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? They're going to get upset with me. I'm not going to, I'm going to get my phone taken away. Oh my gosh, I'm going to fail the class. Oh my gosh, um, I'm going to be grounded. Oh my gosh. And they just continue on and on. And that thought, which was once a dot, has now become this spiral out of control that you have created this big old scenario that you don't even know yet is going to happen. Okay, you might have an inkling, but you're not 100% sure so go back to that little dot and go, oh, that's where I really need to change it when it started out that small.
0: Yeah, they're catastrophizing, right? Yes. I even work with parents who have this scenario, right? I'll work with parents who have like a seven-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid. And they're like, my daughter isn't doesn't do what I ask her to do. She's not good at like following directions. And how is she going to hold a job? And I'm like, your kid is 10.
1: She's, <laughs> <seven>. She's 10.
0: <laughs> She doesn't have a job yet. It's going to be a while. <laughs>
1: it's a long race. <laughs> exactly. So ultimately your goal is teaching your brain what thoughts you're going to allow yourself to focus on and which ones you're not. So you're giving, you're deciding, Hey, I'm going to give you power right now, or I'm not giving you power right now. And when it sounds like power, it seems like stronger than just what I'm going to focus on. Power. What are you giving power to today? What thoughts are you giving power to today? The ones that are going to bring you down and make you feel like a piece of crap, or the ones that are going to lift you up, make you feel grateful, make you think that you are actually much better than you think you are.
0: And there's also that level, especially for middle school kids at the level that you teach, there's also that element of, Kind of like independent oppositionality, sort of thing, where they're like, I don't want anyone to have power over me. Yes. That's not okay. Yes. Not even my own thoughts get to do that.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I, I've watched somebody I went to grad school with. He'll say in some of his anger management videos, like, if you can think of your power as a tangible thing and you're just going to say, oh, here, I'll go ahead and here's my tangible book right in front of me and I'll just hand it to you. So you go ahead and take it. And then I'm left weak like that. When you see that physical movement of like, let me just hand over my power and you decide how my, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to react and how I'm going to feel. That helps them see, Oh yeah, I can actually, I want more control. I want more power in this.
0: What are some of the things that you've found that are sort of like confounding factors right like what makes it harder for kids to take that power back from their internal voice what makes them more prone to feel overwhelmed by perfectionism or by that competition with their peers what are some of the the variables that play a role in that
1: it's the things they don't like about themselves i've had them write down before many times the things they don't like about themselves and i make them put it in a um a word art and they look at it and they see it like bright picture things like i'm going to fail i'm such a loser i hate my acne i hate my hair i hate my nose i hate my body i hate my ocd i hate my anxiety i suck at math i hate my braces my so- my smile is ugly i'm not athletic like others and i hate it i'm just not smart i suck at english all of those it's the things they don't like about themselves that is the part that's harder to manage. And in in middle school, they find a lot of things they don't like about themselves because that's really when comparison is hitting home hard.
0: Yeah. And there's also that gap, right? Where this comes up more often than I probably realize on the show. But there's that gap between your taste and your ability. And middle school is where your taste starts to become real. Like it starts to firm up a little bit. And you also begin to have the start of ability. You can start to see where your ability is and the gap between your taste and what you think is awesome and what you're actually able to execute on is gigantic.
1: For sure.
0: And that's going to play a role here too, I would imagine.
1: Yes, because they want to be able to do what somebody else can do, like taste, that's very appealing. However, learning to be proud of your strengths And trying to stop the comparison between others, that's the biggest gap. I think you're exactly right there.
0: And not even just that, but it's like you're 14 and you're learning how to draw and you're comparing yourself to like a 38-year-old adult who is amazing at drawing because they've got 24 years on you of practicing drawing, (laughs) (laughs) so they're better at it.
1: Well, in our school, we have 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14 year olds who can draw so well that even their own peers are extremely jealous.
0: And I'll own that, right? Like I'll play with that at a personal level because I've got some friends in the ADHD circles that are doing amazing work and I see what they do and I'm like, man, I want to like do that amazing infographic thing that you did. How come I can't do an amazing infographic? (laughs) And I always have to stop myself and be like, idiot, you have like 130 some odd episodes of a podcast that you haven't missed a week on since you launched. That's why you don't know how to do an infographic because you've (laughs) put untold hours into having a podcast and your friend who can do great infographics doesn't have a podcast.
1: Correct. It is where you spend your time.
0: Right. And those kids who are great drawers, the ones who are jealous of them, might be amazing football players or amazing writers or something else.
1: They start to get to grasp that. It just takes a little bit of a weebly wobbly road to get there.
0: What's the role of social media in all this?
1: Oh. <laughs> I, I I gasp because they're starting. At least I feel like they're starting to get it once they've been through my class, but you know that comparison of how many likes and how many friends on Instagram and you know now it's TikTok huge because you know what you want to keep up with the dances you want so many you want so many people to like your videos you want so many people to friend you and follow you that is such a big deal to them it's almost as if they feel like they're becoming famous And some might be, but that fame is really their goal. And if they see their friends having, you know, your brag roll of pictures or TikToks, that's that comparison factor. It makes them feel like their life is crappy. And so we go over that a lot in class as well. That's just an awesome picture. Do you know how many times that person took a selfie to get it just right? to get the filter just right, just to post it and make it look so good, you don't have to have this perfect everything to put out there. Even adults have that. But because the kids are growing up in this, it's not even just peer pressure anymore. It's social media pressure. So that plays a huge role and it makes it so much worse in their self-esteem unless they gain from an early age that education about what social media is and how it can really hurt their whole confidence just from other people posting pictures that seems like their life is so much better. And you and I had talked before, I was wondering if quarantine helped that out a little bit because nobody's life was really being better in terms of a seventh and eighth grader during quarantine. Everybody had to stay home. I would like to know if that helped at least the majority of kids.
0: Cause everybody's kind of stuck in a, at least the same storm. We're not in the same boat, right? Like it's kind of a similar scenario. And so hopefully there's a shared, I, I, this doesn't, isn't gonna sound right, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Hopefully there's a shared misery, I guess. And that sort of pain and struggle of a global crisis and a global traumatic event can unite people and help us find common ground as opposed to furthering dividing us and helping us see like, like we said sort of before recording that idea of I'm looking at your highlight reel on Facebook and I'm comparing it to my blooper reel because I know all the stuff that happened for me today. I know that I like didn't make my kids breakfast and I know that they didn't have the pancakes that I made a few days ago until I told them to because apparently they don't eat unless I remind them to. Right. (laughs) That doesn't feel good to me as a parent. Like my kids should just eat. It's a biological function.
1: Right. Um, But they'll wait around for you.
0: Yeah, right. But you're seeing on my Facebook whatever it is that I'm posting about, right? So like we went to a ropes course a few days ago. And I'm sure that makes me look like an amazing dad, but – Today, I didn't do much. We drove around and visited some people, and that's about the extent and played a board game. That's about the extent of what we did. Yeah.
1: See, that's what kids need to really grasp. So we do talk about those things in class as well. There is no need to compare. Yeah. And it's, you know, popularity still is an issue. I don't know if that will ever change, but when you see who you deem popular on a TikTok or on Instagram, Sharing this awesome experience or what appears to be that. Yeah, you internalize. They just automatically do. It's almost like the child's mind does not know how to differentiate that blooper reel versus the highlight reel.
0: Adults sometimes don't know how to differentiate those two things, even. Of course, it's going to be hard for kids.
1: And, you know, something that we also mention in the whole social media thing is, you know, is there somebody who needs to post? their whole life all the time. Are they crying out for attention? Do you want to be that person who's always trying to cry out for attention to see how many get your likes? Like, what if your self-esteem every single day is based on every post that you make and how many likes you get? How miserable is your life?
0: And then there's the, like the influencers, right. That a lot of these kids are like, Oh my God. (sighs) That person has a Lamborghini. No, that person rented a Lamborghini for a day (laughs) and took pictures of them leaning on it. They might not have even rented it. They might have just gone to the Lamborghini dealership and took the picture so you couldn't tell they were at a dealership. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a lot about how I want the world to perceive me and my life. It might not always be who and what's going on in their life that's actually real. And I do tell kids the more real you are, the better off you are. And of course, there is the point, too, of being careful of what you post, because any kind of racist posts or remarks or comments or any kind of swears, you know, all that stuff sticks with you. We go over the whole fact that if you don't want your grandmother to see it, don't post it. I mean, that's all taught in about third, fourth grade, too.
0: I love the fact that you say to them that they should just be real. Right, and to focus on being real, because you know what's not real? Perfection. Yes,
1: it's not at all. It doesn't even come close. And that's what I'm saying. Like you know, tie that into social media. You want to show your perfection. You want an image, and the image you really want is to be real. We did an experiment too, where we uh, we wrote a whole bunch of Post-it notes that were uplifting to people. And we put those in the um, guys and girls bathrooms at school. And that was there to help somebody look in the mirror, whoever needed a message that day when they went to wash their hands. You never know who needs that message. And I thought that was an awesome thing to do. They like doing it too.
0: When it comes to social media, right? Like it's always interesting to me that that kids don't make that flip, right? Of like, and adults too. I don't want to exclude adults on this, but mm-hmm. they'll be posting on their social media trying to look perfect and trying to come across like they're super amazing, fully aware of the fact that they also suck because all <laughs> of us are amazing and suck at the same yes. time sometimes.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: They'll be fully aware of the fact that they're creating this image on Facebook or on Instagram or TikTok or wherever. But when they look at someone else's image that that other person is presenting, they don't do the math on, oh, that person probably sucks just as much as I do. And they're getting their 10% amazing out there on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook because that's what's happening for me, right? Like they don't always look that next level down. Yeah, engage it. And one of the things that I do that I, whenever my kids end up on social media, I'll have to encourage them to do the same thing. One of the things that I do with my Facebook feed is I, I don't try to be perfect. I try to be encouraging. So like one of the things that I post, I used to do it every day, but I've fallen off that everyday cycle is I post today's awesome. And then I'll write whatever it is. And sometimes it's just pictures about what we did that day. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is not to make people feel bad because my life is so much better than theirs. It's to share that there's something awesome in every day and you just have to find it. Because sometimes my today's awesome is going on a ropes course with my kids and there's like 20 pictures of it of like green, lush stuff and climbing 80 feet in the air and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes my today's awesome is like, I did the laundry and I made pancakes. (laughs) And like, that's what was awesome that day.
1: I have the same kind of life, believe it or not. (laughs) We're human.
0: So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: The fun fact, but not so fun fact, that on average, people think approximately 70,000 thoughts per day. That's average. 90% of those thoughts that you think today are the same ones you thought yesterday. So if you want to change the way you feel, you must change how you think. And Confucius says, the more man meditates upon good thoughts, the better will be his world and the world at large.
0: Hey, you're still here. Nice.